Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about uh, developments and arguments at the Climate Summit in Dubai. The two-week event began last Thursday with uh, delegates agreeing to a new fund to help nations suffering damage caused by the climate crisis. And about 100 countries have promised to triple renewable energy use by 2030. But controversy has arisen after it emerged that the president of the COP28 summit, Sultan Al-Jaber, had claimed there was no science to state that phasing out fossil fuels was necessary to limit global warming to 1.5%, which is the international target. Although he has since said that the phasing out of oil, gas and coal is inevitable. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message uh, on our Facebook page, uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266. And after 9.45, we'll talk about the health of Hong Kong's reef and marine biodiversity. Joining us uh, now on the line, uh, we have Athena Yao and Joanne Chu, who are youth delegates of the Hong Kong NGO Carbon Care Innolab uh, in Dubai. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. And Athena and Joanne, good morning. And also uh, on the line is Priscilla Lin, who was a youth delegate to the previous two COP climate summits and is the co-founder of the platforms uh, Sol Munity and The Shared Meal, which promote solar power and sustainable food systems. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, perhaps if we could uh, uh, start with uh, Athena and, uh, and Joanne. So uh, you're in Dubai at the moment. Um, um, you, you're at the COP Climate Summit. Uh, what is your experience been so far? Oh, hi, I'm Athena. And um, yeah, we have been here since the first day of COP, um, the 30th of November. Um, I think the whole day was like every day of COP is very very intense because we've got to um, experience a lot of like uh, high level negotiations. And at the same time, you have um, you can attend a lot of like sharings. Uh, by different types of people, for example, like indigenous people, people living in the small island, developing states, as well as like you have the opportunity to um, kind of network with a lot of like, experts in different areas. So I would say it's a fruitful experience to me so far. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, what? I agree yeah. with Athena. Yeah. Jo- jo- go ahead. Uh, Joanne Chu, go ahead. Hi, I'm Joanne. Um, I would agree with Athena because there's a lot of things happening at the same time. Um, we have been trying to develop our itineraries every day, plan ahead. And for me, my um, my focus area would be mitigation. So I've been following around the mitigation work programs, negotiation uh, mainly. And then we also have, um, well, some time to attend different events happening in pavilions uh, of different countries. And yeah, it's a fruitful experience for the both of us. Mm. Uh, and what is the atmosphere like? Because uh, um, th- this is an issue which uh, raises uh, um, a lot of, uh, I, I mean, pessimism in, in certain people. Um, um, other people are looking for, for ways, for possible ways, obviously, of making progress. I mean, we've had uh, you know, more commitment to renewable energy and so on. I mean, 
what, what's the sort of mood of the conference like? Athena? Oh, um, I think it's Hello. Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah. Y yes. Yes. No, yeah. Temporary pause. But um, go ahead. I think the um, atmosphere at COP. I I think um, it's kind of different in different types of settings. So um, we have like the the high level negotiation state settings, like which involves like heads of state and governments, like to talk about like, serious issues. For example, like global stock take, um, uh, loss and damage fund, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think these kind of settings get really like intense. And um, um, but I would say it's uh, sometimes, um, in my opinion, is it would be a bit like inefficient. I would say because they spend like um, a lot of time to just um, talk about a particular wording in a draft text. So. Um, yeah, but then I can see that they are they they are serious um, to kind of uh, express their or or maybe protect the interests of the of the country as well to state their um, the the position of the country um, on the particular issue, and then um, there is this um, like I would say a more casual setting, like um, in the <clears throat> for example like. Uh, sharing sessions uh, for like indigenous people or like uh, people from less uh, developed countries, and um, I actually attended few of the like sharings by like youth from these kind of countries, and um, their demand is very simple. Like they just want um, loss and damage um, to happen and to be in place as soon as possible, and they also share a lot of their personal experience and their plight in um, um, when they are in the forefront mm. of climate change. Mm. Mm. So I think like um, at the negotiation table is more official, but then um, at these kind of set, like small sharings, they um, get really close to their in, uh, personal experience. And I think these really, um, uh, some of their experience kind of disheartened. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. If I could just uh, follow up, uh, you know, yes, I do mm. understand that a lot of the delegates they use a lot of time to decide on the on the different words and what they mean. And so, at the moment, as we read in Hong Kong, um, there are these mm -hmm. two words: phasing out uh, fossil fuel or phasing down fossil fuel. And um, so, yeah. this might be a debate uh, in the next few days. Uh, are you aware of this at all? Yes, exactly. Um, this is this has been uh, a controversy for the past two years, especially this year, because um, with the COP28 presidency being also a CEO of an oil company. And um, from previously what you have mentioned, like uh, the COP28 presidency mentioned um, like a complete phase out of uh, there's no science behind a complete phase out of fossil fuel mm, can yes. achieve um, 1.5 degree, uh, can limit warming to 1.5 degrees. So yes, there has been a great debate for a lot of parties and countries, but um, uh, well, we, yeah, and then this is also um, what um, the high level meetings are also talking about. Some countries may um, demand a phase down instead of a complete face out of fossil fuels. Oh, okay. Okay, well, we're going to bring in uh, Priscilla Lin now, uh, who was a youth delegate at the previous two COP uh, climate summits. Uh, uh, Priscilla Lin, good morning. 
Good morning. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, so, uh, given your experience, um, what, what, what are your expectations and what are your hopes from the current uh, climate conference in Dubai? Hmm. Um, so, I have attended COP26 and 27. So, hmm. what I noticed, like, even from COP26, there's a strong, you know, push to do phase out fossil fuel. And so until COP28 now, we are still debating whether we are facing down or facing out. So what you notice is the energy transition that we are facing is um, this uh, debate on like whether how developing country uh, to grow uh, and how developed country need to have the responsibility to one, first mitigate the emission they have caused since industrial revolution. Second is financing uh, the developing country through the energy transition. So this tension has been um, kind of pushed through the past few COPs and even until now. And right now we are at the debate on, hey, can we really make the transformative action to formally phase out fossil fuel in our oil and gas country to really have this um, kind of um, positioning, uh, having a COP28 uh, chair that is also our oil and gas CEO to make this move. Um, and this was one of the aspirations to see. So if we want to see the success for, uh, or measure the success for COP28, first is definitely phase out fossil fuel. The other part is like um, having the climate finance uh, really sufficiently fund for adaptation, mitigation, and loss and damage. Because um, without all this financial support, it's really hard to bring the whole world to make the transition together. And so you will see there's different fallout throughout the negotiation if they don't really finance and being the enabler to take up um, this energy transition challenge. Yes, um, I, I read that, um, you know, a uh, main argument of the people who say phasing down is more appropriate uh, is because the poorer countries uh, need fossil fuel for development, you know, so the developing countries, uh, um, you know, will, you will have their benefits at stake. How, how would you respond to that, Priscilla? I think, like, uh, there's a real challenge for a developing country to see the pathway out without sufficient funding. So we re they really need to uh, receive more financial um, mechanism. So uh, at the same time, you yesterday is Finance Day at COP28. Uh, you will see there's different start conversation. How do we bring in private sector finance uh, into this blend of finance with public sector? One thing. The other part is like, how do we really address the uh, climate finance fund into the area that is most needed, especially for a renewable energy transition in developing countries to really help them to be able to feel comfortable to, yes, uh, this is a pathway. We can do it. Uh, we can, uh, you know, use renewable energy, triple renewable energy to phase out our fossil fuel. In order to have this commitment to phase out fossil fuel, you need to put this kind of um, signaling for developing countries to understand it's possible. Otherwise, we are in this deadlock together. And, uh, and as the world is reaching, you know, 1.5 or beyond, we are risking like um, climate tipping point that will bring even more suffering for the developing country. And so we need to really break out from this vicious cycle. Um, so we have all this climate science telling us 1.5 C2 
since the past few COPs or even beyond. So it's time to really just commit and do it and deliver. Right. Um, Priscilla, you were at the uh, two previous COPs. So I I remember the uh, last year it was in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. uh, And Uh, this year... Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. And this year it's in Dubai. How... how, um, I think it's quite interesting to talk about fossil fuel in in Dubai. How mm-hmm. how um how likely do do you see the chances of success, you know, for a breakthrough um for this year for COP28? Just you know, uh, you are observing from uh, very far away I know, but from mm-hmm. your experience, uh, for example, you know, what are what could young people do there as a youth delegate? Uh, what could you have done to lobby uh, the different countries? Mm. I think it depends where you are at. If you are at COP, of course, you should take the chance to really tell your country representatives to tell them like how important to really phase out fossil fuel and to really find a platform to voice out as much as you can. Because like uh, the the one who suffer is the younger generation, right? We have different time frames that we're looking at. Um, so we need to find ways to step up. Uh, this is one way. But at the same time, we can practice climate action every day in our life. Um, I noticed there's debate on like, hey, does personal climate action matter? And there's this pessimism like, hey, um, we need systematic climate action, not just personal. We need both. Actually, we need both. So if we don't really do the mindset change in our daily individual action, how can you encourage a systematic climate action change? Um, so... I think it takes both ways. Um, we can only embrace hope uh, from now on um, because climate anxiety pushes us to a point that we cannot just say we cannot do it because um, we want to live in a safe and sustainable world and not, um, not to just give up, right? There's no point to give up now. Um, and change can only happen if we are part of the Uh, Okay, I think we have our uh, guests uh, from Dubai back on the line, Um, Athena and Joanne. Hello. Hi. Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, thanks. Uh, so, um, w- well, either of you, I mean, you're both uh, youth delegates and, and I know that you're uh, both uh, very keen on the notion of uh, stimulating uh, awareness of uh, climate change uh, among young people. Um, um, how do you think, how much progress do you think is being made in that regard? Athena or Joanne? Um, yeah. Maybe I can start first. Yeah. Um, from my perspective, um, or actually in general, we like as youth delegates were um, somehow a bit disappointing um, in like the progress of involving youth. Um, into the uh, formal negotiation process because um, currently uh, as youth we can only uh, kind of voice out our opinions throughout um, through um, uh, an organization under UNF triple C which is called Yango. Um, but then but then it is um, but then right now um, uh, although we as youth we can voice out through this organization but um, as we are still like observers, we cannot um, um, like like before we kind of speak out during some formal negotiation process. We 
have to like ask for the consensus of all the other parties. Um, like if they don't have any objection, then that's the time we can speak. Um, and the other thing um, I noticed is that uh, at some of the um, negotiation process, they actually don't um, allow youth to go in. And so it's like a close meeting. So as youth, we don't know anything happening in, inside the event. Um, so we were not able to like follow closely to that particular issue. But um, on, on the other hand, um, so uh, aside from those like negotiation um, or high level meetings, um, we are very glad that um, this year we still have the um, children and youth pavilion that was newly set up um, in last year's COP27. Um, so the children and youth pavilion uh, like provides a platform for us like as youth to like organize a lot of like side events, um, like inviting youth all around the world to speak uh, about their experience, uh, whether in like uh, inspiring um, like to inspire other youth uh, or like just share about their personal experience um, on how they um, advocate climate change, as well as like. Um, sharing their thoughts um, like in this issue or in different uh, subtopics of climate change. Mm. So um, I would say it's like not much progress, but um, I'm still glad that we have a platform for us like to voice out our opinions. Mm. But um, and another thing, sorry, I want to add on. Yeah. Yeah, another thing we noticed that is that um, uh, talking to like previous uh, like delegates, uh, who have who have also been to the COP twenty seven, um, um, like venue, um, like they noticed that there's like much less uh, youth that youth like walking around, um, mm -hmm. in general, like like in, across the venue. So yeah, I would say I'm I'm not sure because there's like there's there there isn't like um an official number or like a figure to show like the statistics of like youth participating at COP27 and 28, etc. But um, yeah, just in general, through our, our um, observation, we noticed that less youth uh, are participating mm. and like, in, in person mm. okay. this year's COP. Uh, and, uh, and, and Joanne, obviously you're with a um, you, well, you're both with uh, Carbon Care InnoLab uh, uh, back in Hong Kong. What do you think about what do you think about the level of awareness among young people uh, uh, here in Hong Kong? Um, obviously, I think Hong Kong among Hong Kong young people, the awareness level is slightly lower than the international level. Um, in Hong Kong, we do have um, participated in a local conference of youth where. We are able to meet quite some of the like-minded youth in Hong Kong to talk about climate issues. But in general, I think um, we seldom talk about climate change in our daily lives. Like mm. for for our like to share our personal experience, um, like for our friends or uh, people, youth who are of our same age, they are not particularly paying that much attention to climate change issues. Some of them may not even know what COP28 means. And not to say that the um, topics being covered in the conference. So yeah, I would say that in general, it's not that um, like conscious 
compared to the uh, new from international right. uh, other so, countries. So who, who inspired you all? You know, which events inspired you to, um, to become so conscious about um, climate, climate change and, and this uh, in international conference? Oh, for me, yes. Um, I'll say, personally, I am very conscious about environmental issues since I was in high school. I studied geography in high school and also in university. So that's why climate change is always one of my most concerned topics. And um, I think talking about climate change is must be COP. It must be talking about a COP where world leaders are able to gather together and talk about the solutions and also finding about finding ways that we can mitigate and also adapt to climate change. So that's why that inspires me or, you know, that has been my personal goal to attend COP, um, to attend COP and to be able to take part in different, to observe different high level negotiations and at the same time might be able to witness any slight um, improvement or change. How about you, Athena? I think, yeah, because Athena, I believe you uh, you graduated in accounting and finance, and then you uh, you switched to, to being a sustainability consultant. Right. Um, for me, um, I think I'm like I'm like different from Joanne. Um, my realization to like kind of being more. Um, caring to the environment uh, comes quite late during my university where I had the chance to um, uh, exchange to do an ex uh, exchange for a half year at Switzerland and um, I I had the chance to kind of like uh, travel all, uh, throughout the um, uh, throughout Europe and then um, one thing that I have observed is that like people there are really environmentally conscious and um, they in general accept um like people uh, who who has this like um mind to be environmental conscious and then um like the governments there are quite supportive they have a lot of like policies to um drive this change like um try to shift um like citizens behavior to be more environmentally friendly um yeah so um that's the time that I started to be more uh, like to care more about the environment and then coming back to um, Hong Kong I tried to find um, like different experiences or diff like try to explore different experiences um, or activities to um, enhance my understanding towards this issue um, but then one thing I found that is that um, there's not a lot to be honest like not a lot of activities or not a lot of like environmental NGO that kind of um, do like capacity building for youth um, yeah but then um, because of my like personal experience all my all my personal thoughts um, like so I decided to changed to a sustainability consultant after working like a year and a half at um, big four company yeah so um it it was really hard i would say like during the, like the transfer period to the sustainability consultant because i had to pick up a lot of knowledge from scratch and which um i would say hong kong um 
is less mature in terms of like sustainable sustainable development as compared to other countries in the world. So yeah, it, it was a bit tough for me to pick up at first, um, but I think um, like. After like joining a carbon care in no labs, um, uh, ca- uh, sorry, ca- climate advocacy training for youth, <laughs> I I I met like like-minded people and youth all over Hong Kong, and then we kind of like share the same thoughts, yeah. And then, yeah, I I I guess that's the time that I became more. Um, passionate about environmental issues and how youth can participate more at international level to drive this change. Okay, all right. Well, thanks thanks very much to both of you for sharing your stories and uh, and the best of luck at uh, COP28 in Dubai. Perhaps uh, we'll be able to uh, speak to you again um, at a later date, maybe after the uh, conference is over. Um, uh, Priscilla Lin, uh, please uh, stay with us. Uh, We've got to take a short break now for a news summary and a couple of government announcements. We'll be back in about uh, three minutes. A quick look at the weather. It's going to be uh, sunny uh, today. Um, uh, Visibility restricted in some areas. Uh, Dry uh, top temperature around 25 degrees. The outlook at winds will strengthen from the north gradually tomorrow fine and dry with slightly cooler mornings um it's currently 21 degrees humidity 75 percent and here's the news with carol musgrave a medical professor says children aged under 18 should keep up to date with their covid vaccinations despite the government recommending regular jabs only for the immunocompromised or those aged over 50 pediatrician mike kwan from the university of hong kong school of public health said the jabs would boost the population's herd immunity against covid the u.s state department says it's too early to say for sure whether or not israel is heeding u.s advice to protect civilians in its renewed offensive in gaza but it did say the u.s had seen israel making much more targeted requests for civilian evacuations in southern Gaza. The health ministry in Gaza says almost 16,000 Palestinians have been killed during Israel's offensive. And the Emirati president of the United Nations COP28 talks has stressed he respects the science behind combating global warming. Sultan al-Jabir had been heavily criticised for recent comments, incorrectly suggesting there was no scientific evidence that eliminating fossil fuel use would limit temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Bring your original Hong Kong ID card to cast your vote at the District Council Ordinary Election on December 10th. Electors have the right to keep their vote secret. Any person who uses an electronic communication device inside a polling station or disturbs other electors commits an offense. Electors must mark their ballot papers by themselves inside a voting compartment. If necessary, electors may seek help from the presiding officer to mark the ballot papers on their behalf, with a polling officer serving as a witness. For inquiries, please call 2891-1001. Every vote carries a wish for our city and our vision for our life. Over the years, a clean election culture has been our common belief. Going forward together, we will continue in our faith to build a brighter future. Abide by the rules. Support clean elections. Report Corruption Hotline 25266366. Hong Kong. Our advantage is you and the ICAC. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. 
Welcome back to Back Chat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And we're going to continue our main topic this morning, and that is on the COP28 climate conference in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. And we have with us uh, Priscilla Lin, who, who was at the previous two uh, COP uh, climate summits and is a youth delegate uh, as a youth delegate and is also the co-founder of the platforms Soul Munity and the Shared Meal, which promote solar power and sustainable food systems. And also joining us now is Thomas Tang, adjunct professor at, at City University uh, and uh, at the School of Energy and Environment and CEO and founder of PJ Sustainability Consulting. Um, Thomas Tang, good morning to you. Uh, thanks very much uh, for joining us. Uh, so what are your expectations? What are your hopes from the uh, current uh, COP28 climate summit? Yeah, interesting question, Jim. Um, I, I guess, you know, this is, this is a culmination of a series of, of COPs that have taken place. And, and to be honest, you know, since Paris, um, there's probably not been a huge amount of progress as we've expected. But nonetheless, I think COP28 is making the right noises. Um, I think the, the opening uh, piece on, on damage and loss fund, which is really talking about social justice for the developing countries, is, I think, a step in the right direction. And, um, you know, there have been a, a lot of um, um, discussions on, on, on you know, topics like ranging from methane uh, abatement to, to nuclear. But I think the, the, real, the real meat is yet to come. And, and you know, I, I, I was listening to the earlier session with the, the other two young speakers, you know, mm -hmm. who really have hopes and expectations. I share them, to be honest. Um, you know, we have to have dialogue. We have to have some sort of engagement that, that takes us forth, because otherwise we're doing a lot of this stuff in silos. Yeah, when you say the real meat is yet to come, what, what, what do you think we can expect? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that question. I mean, I mean the burning question is really the cost of carbon, because, mm. you know, um, it's really, you know, the whole thing about, you know, how we're getting finance and capital to address these problems. I mean, uh, a lot of these, these, these discussions have all been around finance, and, and, you know, you're looking at sums ranging from the original statement of $100 billion a year to be spent, you know, up to 20, 2035, you know, to address climate adaptation, which is now shot up to the trillions. And, and really, it's about, you know, you can't put money to it unless you have a true cost of carbon. And, and, you know, this, this has really been the bugbear of, of all of the cops that no one has, has really sat down. And I'm not, not talking necessarily about carbon trading because, you know, that, that's a different ballgame altogether. But the true cost of carbon and the damage that climate change is doing to the world, you know, really has, hasn't been um, you know, accurately put on the table. And you get lots of estimates on that. But until that, that comes to the fore, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the flow of capital is, is, is not going to happen. And if I could just, you know, um, uh, indulge me a little bit more, and I think biodiversity mm. needs to be on the table as well, because, you know, there's a lot of ecosystems around that, that, that you know, we, we're ignoring at our peril that, that you know, we, we cannot solve all the problems in the world. We do need to get back to some of the nature-based solutions and, and looking at ways of carbon capture in a more natural form than its artificial um, variations at the moment. Mm. So at the end of each COP, um, there, use, uh, there, there would be like a statement of some kind. Um, what, what do you think could be a more positive and progressive and a successful statement that could come out, let's say, on the 12th of December? 
Oh, God, Ada. I mean, they, they, you know, every COP comes up with, with a, a country declaring its commitments, you know, the NDCs. And, and um, you know, they set themselves targets and they set themselves, you know, when they'll peak and when they'll get to net zero. I think this is ambitious, but it's all rhetoric. And, and that's the problem because, um, you know, we, we, we really do need some more concrete steps in terms of taking us towards what is so-called net zero. I think net zero, in, in a way, is an aspiration. Let, let's let's hope that that with COP at the end of this, you know, the statement really come, come fulfills the statement, and I think it brings the different parties together because the expectation is, is always the time that, that government will fix things, but frankly, government cannot fix things by itself. It really needs the collaboration of different stakeholders and particularly the private sector. I think that that's where we're missing that link um, in, in COP. So, uh, I mean, if, if 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 we can get that establish that statement at the end, you know, where everyone you know, kind of gets it. I mean, that would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, uh, Priscilla Lynn, um, you still with us? Yes, I'm still yeah, with you yeah, all. Yeah, great. Um, so, talking about um, keeping uh, the increase in temperatures uh, to 1.5 degrees C, I mean, obviously, uh, reducing carbon and uh, other greenhouse gases is part of that, um, plus uh, is the, um, you know, the increased use of sustainable energy. I mean, you're very much uh, into promoting solar power. Um, what, what is the potential for greater use of solar power in this part of the world? Hmm. So, like, from the IEA report, uh, already demonstrate net zero pathway is possible. It's not aspirational. This needs to be clear. We have all the climate science to back. This is the pathway. How do we do it? What is the fuel mix to make it possible? So what we notice is triple global renewable energy capacity by 2030. We need to mm. also uh, two times faster on energy efficiency. Um, that means also drastically cut down methane. The first thing we need to figure is how do we phrase out fossil fuel? So we, these two come hand in hand. And uh, back then when I promote uh, community solar in Hong Kong, it's because we noticed there's case study around the Eastern Asia Pacific. Like there's different cases. Uh, how do we step up on the uh, renewable energy capacity in the city? Uh, we look at cases. Actually, in Hong Kong, we can consider um, government open up land uh, for people to install solar panel and have the NGO or social enterprise to run it. And then people can invest into a solar bond. And then there's a return, uh, maybe 4% return back to the citizen. And this can also help build out their renewable energy capacity in the city. At the current moment, uh, we only have less than 1% of renewable energy uh, target rich. So we need to really think through, like, how do we go into scale up in Hong Kong? Um, and there's already tons of studies. Um, we can reach 10% uh, renewable energy target. Or we can even up to 21% in another report using like um, rooftop, uh, parks, different open space. Um, the key point is like, how do we loosen up the regulation to really facilitate between different government departments that talk to each other to really help have a stronger leadership into bring us into the um, renewable energy transition. Um, so far at the current stage, you will look at uh, the climate action plan from Hong Kong. Uh, there's not much clear measurable target. Uh, you, you notice some action from time to time, but it doesn't seem fast enough in order for us to meet the 1.5 Paris Agreement target. So what we need to see is um, 
first, having a Paris-aligned 1.5 measurable action. Uh, that might mean uh, we need to really invest into wind power. Um, there's actually peer research from Harvard talk about like the offshore wind capacity in the southern part of China is super high. Um, so, and a few days ago last week, I think um, the government bureau have mentioned uh, investing in wind is still too high. <clears throat> Why not investing through like the green bond mechanism? Why not um, set up a new kind of uh, financing mechanism to really finance it? To make it possible, it's not about if the, if money is the issue, then try to use the green finance to leverage it. Mm. Uh, uh, Priscilla, I can feel your passion. Uh, yeah. And um, you know, when when we ask uh, uh, governments and you know um, nations to um, to make commitments, uh, I think you mentioned earlier that personal commitments uh, are also very important. Now, I note that uh, you have started an organization called the Shared Meal. How is that co uh, organization connected to your personal agenda to mm -hmm. uh, respond to climate change? Mm. You mentioned like how do everyone, the youth delegates, start the journey. For me, it starts with food. Um, because like when I look at climate action back in the uni day, uh, I didn't realize I have the, like, the ability to really address such a huge problem. And for me, climate action might mean the choices I make from a daily basis. And food system actually um, is one third of the global emission. That is, um, haven't addressed properly. Um, we notice it from COP27. There's more food pavilion starting putting food into the general uh, conversation. And actually, at COP28, there's um, slowly mentioned about food system, but it's not even in the country NDC. Um, but through that, in Hong Kong context, uh, we actually consume a lot of. Uh, from mm. Brazil, the Amazon. So in some way, how do we know the way we consume doesn't cause more deforestation, uh, doesn't really harm, uh, like, uh, how do we kind of ensure free choice a day that we can make a better choice? So for me, it's a personal encouragement that climate action is measurable, is doable. And for my aspiration is really bringing the community together. Uh, that everyone can be part of the change. And every day you have that choice. Okay. Um, mm, okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, uh, yeah, Thomas Tang, just picking up there on what uh, Priscilla was saying, I mean, um, how, how uh, much of a solution could uh, green finance and green bonds be in the area of uh, new sustainable uh, energy sources and energy production? Yeah, uh, thanks, thanks, Jim. But before I, I just answer that, could I just comment on, on Priscilla's thoughts? I mean, I think I admire uh, the, the fortitude of thinking that. I mean, you know, to get from 1% to 10% of renewable energy, and I'd agree with her that the Climate Action Plan uh, is a broad guidelines, but it doesn't give us instruction on how to move forward. And I concur with her about, you know, the whole thing about collaboration, uh, more regulatory kind of um, latitude in terms of, of allowing, um, uh, you know, initiatives to take place. And, and shared meals. Do you know that uh, a kilogram of meat um, re you know, represents 100 um, 100,000 litres of water mm. you know, produced wow. that. So, yeah, I mean, we should all go vegan in Hong Kong. I mean, that, that, that's, I think this is, um, or vegan for a day. But, yeah, to, to your point, Jim, sorry, I digress. No, Green bonds, um, 
the work the work that I've been doing with the Hong Kong Green Finance Association, you know, kind of it brings together the finance sector, you know, who obviously are looking at this this uh, issue of green bonds, sustainable bonds, and you know, a whole um, impact of, of responsible investment. And I, I'll tell you very frankly, I mean, these these guys are, you know, they they come together with with you know a very positive attitude and a very admirable kind of um, approach to the, the problems because they're there motivated by realizing that we have to do something and the finance sector has an important role to play. But what they're looking for is bankable projects. And I think you'll, you'll get this sense around, you know, although we, we talk a lot about Hong Kong becoming the green hub for uh, sustainable finance you know, in the region, but the reality is that these are bankers. I mean, these are people who are looking for projects that, that give a solid return. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the market is getting there, but it's not getting there fast enough. And, and whilst China has, has really embraced this and taken on the role of, of you know, producing renewable energy and, and really becoming a leader in this area of, of you know, various things like clean energy, electrification, etc., yeah. yeah. you know, we still need to get there faster. And, and um, green bonds is, is one way of doing it, but, but I think you know, the scale, it just needs to scale up. And I think we need to make things less complicated because uh, the projects that are looking for, bankable projects, you know, I mean, it all gets lost in a mesh of, of financial jargon and technical jargon. And we, I, I would add one caveat here, you know, beware of greenwash, because there's a lot of greenwash out there in terms of you know, what, is, what is a good, sustainable project and what is just basically a project which is looking for money. And I think that's the wariness that, that in the market that, that the bankers are, are, are very aware of. How would you uh, differentiate that, Thomas Tang, uh, the greenwashing kind of projects? Well, um, there's, there's ESG, you know, which, which you know, I, I'm sure you're going to raise yes. this at some point in the program. <laughs> let, let me put, preempt you on this. But ESG... You know, was put apart, put 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 in in, in place. You know, to get companies to um, be honest. Basically, it's about disclosure. It's about you know, kind of compliance with with um, you know um, um, you know the terminology, the taxonomy, and and you know all the other things that that describe and define a green project. And and there's ways of looking at it because. You know, you, you, you know, in the, the original kind of Belt and Road uh, initiatives, I mean, China was going out there saying, yeah, you know, we're going to you know, empower different societies. But they were doing this with fossil fuel power stations. So, you know, they ra- had to ratchet that back when the realization was that actually that's not, that's not, you know, clean energy. That's not, you know, the energy that, that developing countries are, um, you know, kind of in the long term sustainable. So there, there's various things around that, Ada, which, which you know, kind of define uh, sustainability. And, and I'd refer you to things like the equator principles, the principles of responsible uh, investment, and various others, you know, which, which help, help, are helpful out there. But really, at the end of the day, you know, you, you've got to have a sense of, is, is this really just? You know, is this, is this just for the people who, um, um, you know, need energy to develop? Uh, is it just for, for people who have, depend on livelihoods, you know, in, in, in this space? But, you know, we obviously have to change because, you know, the world is in transition. We have to, do, we have to make this transition as, as soon as possible. 
Okay, okay. Very uh, interesting. We could uh, talk about this for, for much longer. Uh, no doubt we will most certainly talk about it again. Uh, but for now, um, we're out of time for this part of the programme. Thank you very much uh, to both of you for joining us. That was uh, Thomas Tang, adjunct professor at the uh, City University School of Energy and Environment and CEO and founder of PJ Sustainability Consulting. And thanks very much to Priscilla Lin, uh, who was a youth delegate at uh, COP26 and 27 and is the co-founder of the platforms Solmunity and The Shared Meal, which uh, promote solar power and sustainable food systems. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hi, I'm Secretary for Housing, Winnie Ho. Happy birthday to RTHK's 95th anniversary. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. And for the last uh, part of this morning's uh, programme, we're going to be talking about uh, the annual uh, reef check, uh, a check on the health of uh, coral reefs around the shores of Hong Kong. This is uh, an annual event uh, conducted by the, the Reef Check Foundation, which is uh, a non-profit organisation. Um, this year's check found that uh, local corals were generally healthy and uh, species diversity uh, remains uh, relatively Hi. Um, to talk more about this, we're now joined on the line by Lydia Pang, who's Interim Head of Ocean Conservation at WWF. Lydia Pang, good morning. Morning, Jane. Morning, Ada. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, so, uh, so what's your feeling? Uh, um, it seems that this, uh, the, the latest Reef Check report is fairly encouraging. Mm, right. Actually, uh, personally, uh, I am also involved in the reef check as a team scientist. And yeah. then, um, uh, this is, uh, the reef check itself is a good activities per, per, per engagement because for the fact that, uh, uh, the reef check is using a similar or the same method around the group so that uh, to collect uh, coral information uh, so that uh, it is comparable uh, to other places. Um, but we, uh, the one, some points that we have to get to that is that uh, we, the uh, reef check can tell us it's a good reference for to uh, tell us a general feeling of the coral coverage, but it, it sometimes for, for some areas of the health of the um, coral community or or the marine uh, environment cannot be totally reflected by the uh, reef check itself. So it is uh, some uh, it tells us some good parts of the information, but the overall picture we should uh, see it uh, more in depth. Uh, the technique you use involves uh, checking the color intensity of the corals, right? And the more the, the greater the color, color intensity, the you know the the better health that they're in. Is is mm. that correct? Yes, yes. Uh, so this part is called uh, the coral watch as a part of the surveys that the uh, survey teams has to conduct. Um, uh, generally, uh, understanding is uh, 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 the surveyor will use a color card that are uh, showing uh, six color intensity and then he'll match with the color of the coral uh, we saw in the sea and then uh, the stronger intensity basically is uh, mentioned the pigments like uh, the the uh, zooplankton, the phytoplankton 
in the corals is um, has a higher density, so which means it's healthier. So if uh, the uh, col- uh, the color is less intense, uh, that may show tell us uh, the the corals may have some coral bleaching problem. Uh, but it is not that yet. But if the situation is uh, precise, then uh, the health of the coral may may be uh, very uh, impacted. Right. So can you tell us more about coral bleaching? Um, mm-hmm. You know, although uh, the the coral reef is relatively healthy, uh, you have noticed um, coral bleaching at certain sites. So what, what does that mean, actually? Yeah, so um, because the I just said, as I mentioned, the uh, plankton is actually living in the coral cells, and then it is a very important nutrient input uh, or source uh, to the corals. So uh, what induced the coral bridging is a uh, uh, for example, the change, the dra- uh, dramatic change in water temperature or uh, pollutants or very high rainfall. Um, and also if the water level changes, then uh, uh, if uh, it is exposed to the sunlight, then uh, it or these uh, situation also will induce uh, coral bleaching. So it is quite um, strongly uh, correlated with the climate change that we are facing uh, nowadays. Mm. Uh, also, I noticed from the report in terms of coral coverage, uh, the highest recorded was uh, at uh, Dongping Chow, which is actually a long way from Hong Kong, isn't it? I mean, does that mean that uh, the, maybe the, you know the waters closer to the shores are less healthy for corals? Mm, right. This is an interesting question. So, uh, for for us, we see that uh, Dongping Chow is a marine park, and then actually the survey points of the coral reef check is uh, is has uh, uh, some some points are inside marine park and some points are outside, and then uh, with, uh, certainly if it is located in marine park, then uh, the management of the the um, human activities like uh, development or fishing will be higher. So um, that somehow shows the uh, the marine protect area can uh, protect the corals in a more healthy situation. So, uh, so if uh, there's some one point like uh, the Sharp Island in Saikong, which is uh, high. Uh, coral coverage, but it is uh, outside marine park, and then uh, so uh, recently we also think that uh, there are so many recreational uh, activities happening there. If it can be designated as a marine park, then it would be very good to like stop it as uh, stopping us from degradation. Right. How how would you say that, um, you know, uh, I guess Hong Kong, well, first of all, I think Hong Kong people are not um, that aware of um, the importance of, um, you know, coral reefs, or are they? And uh, what, what, you know, what would be your suggestions to, um, you know, to do more public education in that regard? Yes, yes. Um, so uh, we see some, um, like uh, for the wish uh, if uh, 
uh, in addition to WeChat, I think that because the um, climate change in future, we have to um, uh, stay like alert to the impact to our core diversity. Like uh, because coral in Hong Kong is uh, quite unique, and then we have even higher coral diversity than the Caribbean Sea. And then, uh, but for the climate change, actually scientists and all ecologists also like need to stay alert on the potential impact to them like uh, will in Hong Kong will it be like uh, it has to migrate to more um, uh, deeper water so it to ha- uh, to stay in a, like a, a, a good uh, temperature optimum temperature for them and if it's so then maybe the uh, coral coverage will exceed uh, the yeah. um the current uh, protected area boundary and also uh for our uh, Internationally, we also for the CBD and COP15, uh, the globally also agree that uh, we have to have 30 by 30, 30% of protected area and also uh, restore 30% of degraded habitat uh, uh, around the group. So, um, like uh, for for the reef check, it does not cover some historical high uh, high coverage points of uh, corals. Like uh, for the Tolo Harbor, uh, in the past, it is actually can we can find as high as eighty percent of coral coverage in some ponds. But now it is only two percent of coverage um, because of uh, the coastal development. So how do we? bring back the corals like uh, we can we can do active restoration so to improve the coverage also the diversity of marine life so as well as the climate resilience yeah because your survey also looked at, uh, at, at fish and invertebrates as well didn't it and uh, and, that, and that showed a, um, a relatively high species diversity all right. Uh, so the survey, this survey has uh, uh, categorized 20, per, uh, 20 species of indicator species. So some grippers or sea urchin and then sea cucumber. Actually, why is these uh, indicator species are selected is because uh, it will somehow link to uh, different uh, human activities threats, like uh, some uh, butterfly fish may be caught by people to do the aquarium business. Mm-hmm. Some are very popular fish species. So, um, first, uh, we, we still, we think that is, uh, the analysis of the data should be more longer term, not only compared to last year. If, we, if they can use uh, five years or five years, uh, um, like, uh, this, uh, year uh, period, then they can show better trend of the uh, marine environment health mm. so it's now not done yet in this mm. moment mm. so oh. what what was your next um target what's your next uh, big survey going to be like oh uh, so this is uh and anyone and then i aware that the ecologist is uh doing like uh for more uh more uh, 
a survey in details like the 3D mapping mm-hmm. or also uh, on uh, monitoring of the mm-hmm. growth of mm-hmm. corals. And mm-hmm. for us, WWF is doing the uh, restorations and partner with the CU8, uh, Chinese University to, done, to do all, uh, coral all, restoration in all, 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 all very valuable work. Uh, thanks for telling us about it. Uh, sorry we're out of time, but uh, thanks for appearing on the programme. Lydia Pang, Interim Head of Ocean Conservation at WWF.